Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. We're so thankful that you're joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy. On October 25th through the 27th, Nashville Vineyard is hosting the Risk Everything Conference with special guest speaker Robbie Dawkins. For more information on this event and other events at Nashville Vineyard, please visit nashvillevineyard.org. about this idea of ministering to the Lord and, and uh, spending time with the Lord. And, uh, and so we've been, we've been talking through the idea of how much of our prayer life, how much of our Christian life uh, revolves around being with God just because he's worth it, just because he's good, just because he's holy, just because we can, uh, versus you know, how much of our, our time in, in our Christian faith is spent with God trying to twist his arm to get something out of him. And so we're wanting to, to reframe and relook at uh, what it actually means to be in a relationship with God. And so we're looking at this idea of being before the throne, which is you know, sort of a, a foreign concept. Uh, if you're a Westerner, the idea of a throne room and, and royalty is, uh, is a little bit you know, difficult for us to comprehend sometimes. And so we're, we're using throne room language, but in a relational context, because uh, the scriptures tell us that, that we're seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father in the throne room. And so one of, one of our greatest joys, one of our greatest uh, duties is to come before the throne, come into the presence of God and, and spend time ministering to the Lord just because he's worth it. And, and inevitably what happens is you actually will get something out of it because he's too good not to, not to let us leave without having an encounter and experience. But, but we want to press into this idea of, of ministering to the Lord. It's, it's all throughout scripture and, and you find it that it takes place usually before something amazing happens. The people of God begin to grasp this idea that we need to become enraptured by his presence. Just because it's, it's possible. Just because it's incredible to imagine that we can actually spend time with, with God. The God who created the universe. The God who created you and I. The God uh, who, who was and is and is to come. That God actually allows us to come into his presence. I mean, I think most of us believe that. Like, logically, we, we say that we agree with that. But our hearts don't match. I mean, if we really believed it, I, I think, I mean, could you imagine? Like, if, if there was a place physically that we could go to, and we could open the door, and we could actually, no kidding, stand, you know, right now with these bodies in the presence of God at any moment, at any time, we would probably do that. Because it would, it would just be, why wouldn't you do that? That'd be crazy, right? But the truth is, is that you can. No kidding, physically, right now, you can, you can find the presence of God. Because he's, he's in us. He's made his home in us. But so often we have this disconnect in, in our brains between what we know we believe and what we actually believe. Belief happens by how you live your life. You, you want to know what you believe, just take an evaluation of how you live your life. Because of what you believe will end up coming out in how you live. It's a pretty incredible thing. So, so we're taking an evaluation, we're, we're running back our, our lives and, and how things are happening and what's going on. And we're saying, do we really believe what we say we believe? And if we're not acting like it, then how can we change and begin to enter into a new dimension? And so uh, the first week we, we looked at a, a story 
in, in the book of Revelation about what it's like to be in the throne room and, and to come around the throne room and how that works and, and how we can, we can begin to interact with that. And, and we, we, I encourage you to go back and listen to each one of these because they sort of build on one another. And then last week, uh, Dave spoke about uh, the idea of repentance and the, and the line that just stuck out to me just so hard is that we're, we're preparing to meet a God that potentially we don't know. And, and so it's the idea of if, I'm, if I know I'm going into the presence of God, I'll probably do things differently, right? I mean, I, I won't necessarily be in willful disobedience and knowing I've got a five o'clock appointment to meet with God, right? I mean, you would change the way, not because you have to, but because, could you imagine? I was, uh, yesterday we hosted an event and, uh, and so it was, it was specifically on uh, the prophetic, and it was for people that flowed in, in the prophetic, and so it was just something they were using our building, and, and, um, and so the, the, I knew the room was full of prophets, and I knew that they were going to ask me to, to, to pray before we, we got started, and I'll tell you, that's intimidating. And so on the way in, I was like, I have, I have to get prayed up a little bit here, you know, in order, because I, I don't know what's going to happen. Anytime, if you're around someone that really functions in the prophetic, you notice they just kind of look at you a little funny, and you're thinking, oh, geez, what are they seeing right now, you know, and you're wondering when's the last time you send, and, you know, you're just going back on all that. So it, it's the same idea. I mean, if, if we know we've got a five o'clock appointment with God, we're, we're going to change our actions, aren't we? Not because we have to, but my Lord, we'd want to. And so again, we're just trying to make the connection from head to heart. We're, we're, we're trying to, to build that bridge in, into that. And so he, he talked about it from Ezekiel 44, and I'm gonna talk from Ezekiel 44, and this will make the most we've ever heard sermons preached from Ezekiel over these, over these next two weeks, if you've been here these two weeks, that's it, you've maxed out on Ezekiel. But honestly, Ezekiel 44, and we could spend years going through each, each phrase in that. It's just unbelievable. And so if you would, if you can turn uh, into your Bibles, we're going we're gonna to be in Ezekiel 44, we're going to jump around, we're going to have some, some of the scriptures on the screen. But I want you to go there, I, w- I want you to mark it, it's going to be an important verse, because here's the deal. You're called... If you've bowed your knee to Jesus, you're called a priest. That's just what it is. Uh, I think it is First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says that we, that's you and me, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Like it or not, whether or not you signed up for it, whether or not you feel called to it, uh, whether or not someone gave you a word of knowledge about it, you're a priest. The scriptures say it. And so we're going we're gonna to talk to you today as though you're priests. Because obviously the things that are given to us in the Old Testament are, are a shadow of, of how we're to, to live. And so Ezekiel is, is talking to the priesthood. He's talking about the priest, and so if you're here today and if you've bowed your knee to Jesus, guess what? You're a priest. And so I'm going to, to talk to you as though I believe that. And so today is gonna be about how do we conduct our lives as priests, as priests in the kingdom of God. So we're gonna read, we're gonna pick up at verse uh, 10. Here, it says, and the Levites who went far from me, so this is God speaking through Ezekiel. It says, and the Levites who went far from me when Israel went astray, who strayed away from me after their idols, they shall bear their iniquity. Yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary as gatekeepers of the house and ministers of the house. They shall say, they shall slay the burnt offerings and the sacrifices for the people and they shall stand before them to minister to them. Because they ministered to them before their idols and caused the house of Israel to fall in iniquity. Therefore I have raised my hand in an oath against them, says the Lord God, that they shall bear their iniquity, and they shall not come near me to minister to me as priests, nor come near any of my holy things, nor into the most holy place, but they shall bear their shame and their abominations which they have committed. Nevertheless, I will make them keep charge of the temple for all its work." 
and for all that it has to be done in it. But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer to me the fat and the blood, says the Lord God. They shall enter my sanctuary, and they shall keep, let's see, they shall uh, come near to my table to minister to me, and they shall keep my charge. And it shall be whenever they enter the gates of the inner court that they shall put on the linen garments. No wool shall come upon them while they minister within the gates of, their, of the inner court or within the house. They shall have linen turbans on their heads and linen trousers on their bodies, and they shall not clothe themselves with anything that causes sweat. When they go out to the outer court, the outer court to the people, they shall take off their garments in which they have ministered, leave them in the holy chambers and put them on the other garments, and in their holy garments they shall not sanctify the people. That's a lot. We need to pray after that. Lord, we ask that you, uh, that you come, that you have your way. We declare, Jesus, that this is your church. You're in charge. Holy Spirit, would you uh, open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive uh, what it is that you have for us today? Would you come and be among us? It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So this is sort of hard, hard to read a little bit. A lot of shalls, shall nots, that sort of thing. Uh, it's Old Testament. That's on the left-hand side of, of the Bible. It's, it's sometimes a daunting and, and unfamiliar section of this book that we may or may not carry around with us. And so it's, it's sort of a, it's a thick passage. There's a, there's a lot in there. And so we're, we're just going to break it down uh, a little bit and begin to look at what is, it, what is the Lord saying here? And how, how does it apply to us? And, and, and especially how does it apply to this idea of before the throne, of ministering to the Lord? So it, it's really interesting. I, I'm going to read again in Ezekiel 44.10. And I want you to understand, here's what the Lord is saying. This is what the Lord is saying to the people within this passage, okay? The priests have been gathered in, in the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is where the Lord's presence resided, okay? And we learn about this in, in Exodus and, and how he's instructed the people to, to build the tabernacle. And it will, will be where his presence uh, resides. And so the priests are the ones that are actually appointed to, to take care of all of the different activities that he commands to happen within the tabernacle setting. Okay, so there's, there's all of these things and rituals and sacrifices and candles and, and all of these things that need to happen in order to maintain the house of his presence. So in order, in order to continue to, to create a, an abode for his presence to dwell. And he calls this ministering unto himself, okay? So the priests, the primary duties were to maintain the place in which he was dwelling. Again, we're priests, and I would say our primary duty is to maintain the place in which we, we can create a space for him to dwell. That's ministering unto the Lord. But there were two sets of priests. There were one set of priests who, who was doing it in the outer court, and one set of priests who, who did it a little bit differently and continued to obey and continue to, to keep the commands to the letter. And so what he does is he's coming here in verse 10 and he's levying a judgment against the priests that were going against what he was telling them to do. I mean, these priests, they were doing it in the outer court and they were bringing in the sacrifices and they were going through everything that they were supposed to do, but they were doing it in, an, in what the Lord calls an abomination. They, they were doing it in an unclean way. They were, they were saying everyone can come in, forget about the holiness of God, just, just come on in and, and, just, and just take part in this, even though you haven't gone through the consecrating rituals. In other words, what they were, what they were saying is the grace of God that leads into salvation, it's cheap. It's just cheap. And so you can continue to come in day after day, and this is where Dave was driving last week, you can continue to come in even though you're continuing in your sin without even a, a chance or, or a thought to stop. And you can continue to partake even though. And it was just compromise. The place of God, the presence of God was continually being compromised by people who were willfully, continually living in sin, going against the commands. And, and what we see here is we see that the judgment of God comes to the people 
And the judgment of God comes to the people, and we want to be like James and John, the sons of thunder in the gospel, where they, where they see this compromise and they say, you know, what do you want to do, Jesus? Do you want, to, do you want us to call down lightning and thunder and smote these people from the earth? And, and when we think about the judgment of God, that's, that's how we think. And, and sometimes we want the judgment of God to come on people that, that we're particularly upset with. And, and we would like to call down lightning and thunder and smote the earth and all of that. And we, we think that the Lord acts that way. But what we see here is a very different picture of what God's judgments look like. We're waiting for Ananias and Sapphira to fall down. But the judgment of God here amongst his people is actually that he allows them to continue the works of the ministry without the presence being available to them. So so we're allowed to continue this religious ritual and routine, but the judgment is that he's going to be nowhere around. That's a pretty frightening thing to think about. And unless anyone was listening to Ezekiel, who was just one person without a Twitter account, laying on his side most of his life, cooking things over cow dung, unless people came by him and listened to those words, they may not have understood or or heard, and so they were able to continue on with their duties, believing that what they were doing and the way that they were living because they were doing the things and they were doing the stuff, believing that they were actually in the presence of of God. But the judgment is is that my my presence isn't going to be there. And what we are to do as priests is to begin to discern just because people say that they're in doesn't mean that the presence is there. Because what we know is that what it says, uh, I think it's in Matthew, yeah, Matthew 7, 22, it says that many, that word many is like a lot of people, a ton of people will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? And done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare, the Lord will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Lawlessness, that's an interesting thing that that Jesus tells them because Jesus came to fulfill the law, right? And we think about Jesus and, and we think about what Jesus was doing. He was doing what he was doing so that we wouldn't have to be under the law, that we're now under grace. And so it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that he's using this, this word lawlessness as what's keeping them from entering into his presence. Because they're not following his ways. They know about God, but they don't know how he works and how he moves. And so they're, they're participating in some of the activities that God may or may not be involved in. Prophesying. That's a big one, right? Casting out demons. We would, we would probably consider ourselves you know, at least level three Christians at that point if we're going around casting demons out, right? Working wonders and miracles. I mean, people's legs growing out. Miracles and things like that happening. Like, apparently we're able to be in that place and to do those things, without having a relationship with God that allows us to come into his presence. This is what Ezekiel is saying. Which means we have to be careful. We have to be careful as as a people of priests to be discerning into where is God actually moving? What is is God's presence actually doing? Like, let's, let's don't look for the signs. Let's look for his presence. And we, we're people want, that want the signs. I mean, if you're, if you're part of this church, man, we're, we're going for some signs. Like, we want to see the wonders. We want to see the miracles. We, we want to see the stuff. Like, we're about it. But apparently, it's not enough. And even apparently, and this is mind-blowing, because God is so good that apparently he will heal and deliver people regardless of the affiliation. Because he's just so crazy about people. He loves people. 
Well, this, is, this should cause us to pause. This is the judgments of God that come on his house. And so I think, I think for us, we need to be mindful. We can't, we can't validate our, our Christian experience by the fact that we prayed for someone and they actually got healed. We can't validate our Christian experience by the fact that we, we had a word of knowledge for someone. It's just, it's just not, it's not the deal. So how do we validate our Christian experience? By our time in the presence. Do we, do we go to the presence? Are we around the presence? Have we entered into to the innermost holy place? Is that where we spend our time? That means that we can do all of the stuff and miss it completely. And it's the thing that keeps me up at night because the scriptures also tell us that teachers will, will be judged more harshly and the thing that keeps me up at night is that at some point, I'm gonna stand before the Lord and, and I don't ever want him to say, hey, this person, they were on the prayer team, they were tearing it up on healing on the streets, but you never pushed it enough to where they actually got to know me. And that, that'll be on me. And so we're, we're here today, talking about this today because I, I, I wanna have clean hands and a pure heart. Not necessarily for you, I'm doing this selfishly. <laughs> but you understand, like, that's incredible. And so we're looking, I don't know if you've, if you've been noticing or not, but, but the church is in a really weird place right now in the West. It's incredibly divided. And, and there's a lot of different voices speaking into a lot of different things. And, and there's, there's a, a tremendous amount of issues. There seems to be new issues that prop pop up each day that I, we can't even keep track of all of the issues. And there's, there's people in the church that are just like, they're popping off like crazy about what we should think about this and what we should think about this and what we should think about this and what we should think about this. And, about this. and I'll tell you, it doesn't matter what they say. The only thing that matters is, is the word of God. And so our job is to go back to the word of God, the, the Bible, and, and, to, and to, to lay that over and to, be, and to let that form our worldview, not our emotions. Our, our Bible informs our emotions, not our emotions inform our, our Bible. Do you know that? In other words, it doesn't matter how you feel. I'm not a very good counselor. It doesn't matter how you feel. It matters how the scriptures say that things are, and then you should feel accordingly. It, it doesn't matter what you believe is right or wrong. It, it matters what the scriptures say. And right now we have all kinds of different opinions. And, and I don't typically get, get on here and state my opinion. Because my opinion doesn't matter. We have one job. It's to preach Christ and him crucified. That's it. And you're to work out your salvation with fear and trembling with fear and trembling, not with emotions, with fear and trembling. That's, that's the deal. And so I would just encourage you today as you're, as you're trying to figure out how do we navigate this incredibly volatile cultural environment that we find ourselves in every two seconds. The only way that you can navigate that is through the word, period. Don't, don't trust every that has an account with followers, even if they do neat things, even if their ministry has fruit, just, just stick with the word, okay? Well, it's hard to go wrong if we just stick with the word. That's a rant. I'm going on a tangent. Okay, uh, so that's verses uh, 10 through 14. We need to be careful to understand that the judgment of God doesn't always look like a smoting. Scriptures tell us that uh, before Jesus returns, it'll be just like in the days of Noah. People were having a good time. Things were going okay. People were eating and drinking and marrying and all of that sort of stuff. Nobody knew. And then all of a sudden, it started to rain. Okay? Oftentimes, we want to wait for things to get really bad or really good 
to give us a sign of what's going to happen, not how it's going to work. We're going to be going about our business just the way that we think we should. Churches are going to be going around their business just the way they think that they should. We should be on guard. And the way to do that, by the way, happens in in the next few verses. If we look at uh, chapter uh, 44, verses 15 through 18, here's what it says. It says, but the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, who kept my charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near to me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer me the fat and the blood, says the Lord God. So this, these were, these were the, the group of priests that weren't lawless. They were actually keeping the commands that were, that were entering into the ways that, that God had instructed him, them to, to work about the temple. And so there was another group of priests that he says, your judgment is you actually get to come into my presence. So, so you get to enter into the work that he has for you. And so what, he's, what he tells them, and this is a good way that we can begin to do it, it says in verse 16, they shall enter my sanctuary and they shall come near to my table to minister to me and they shall keep charge. And it shall be whenever they enter the gates of the inner court, they shall put on linen garments no wool shall come upon them while they minister within the gates of the inner court or within the house. They shall have linen turbans on their heads and linen trousers on their body. They shall not clothe themselves with anything that causes sweat. So on the one hand, you have a group of priests who were in the outer court and they were handling all of the people's sacrifices. Okay, they were the ones that when, when sinners needed help, when they needed their sins forgiven, they were the ones that were unloading and, and sacrificing and, and doing the work, and they were doing it in front. Of, it, was, it was good work, and they were doing it in front of the people. And then you have another group, a group that was hidden from everyone else, a group that was, was out of sight, that seemingly weren't doing anything, but they were doing the most important thing, they were ministering to the Lord. And when you spend your time ministering to the Lord, what you'll begin to learn is that ministering to the Lord and doing things that the Lord has planned and doing, doing things the Lord's way results in no sweat. Isn't it interesting that the Lord tells them to change the clothes? The wool clothes aren't going to work when you minister to the Lord. They signify work. But the linen is actually uh, to breathe and to allow them to keep cool and, and to not sweat. Now, we remember where sweat first entered the picture, right? It was after Adam was banished from the garden, and the Lord said that by the sweat of his brow is he, is he going to be able to reap from, from the land. It, it was part of the judgment. And we see here that actually ministering to the Lord undoes the original judgment because you're into his presence and he wants you to come into his presence. And as you come into his presence, you won't need to sweat. You won't need to strive. You won't need to work. You, you won't need to, to make anything happen or conjure anything up. Because his presence, there is fullness of joy. In his presence, there's life. There's ease. Now, on the surface, these two things look very similar. You have the priest in the outer court and the priest in the inner court. Both are good things. But they're not necessarily the right thing. And if you're a priest, you're probably going to be less likely to fall into drug abuse, uh, extramarital affairs, all of those big things that we like to talk about because they're pretty obvious sins. You'll probably, it won't be that easy for you to get tangled up into that. But the enemy's primary job is to steal, kill, and destroy. And so he's going to be looking for different ways that he can steal, kill, and destroy everything we have. And so that means that he's, his primary tactic in, into, into stealing and killing and destroying us is with good things that aren't God things. It's, it's with the things that on the surface seem great. There's nothing inherently wrong with them. In fact, some of them may be incredible. It's just not what God wants. And as priests, our job is to discern between the good things and God things. 
because as priests, we're, we're, we're called to, to, to sort of mature a little bit in, in, this, in this Christian thing, which means we can't always just say, oh, well, it's not, it doesn't look like a sin. I guess I get to do it. No, that's not how he works. It's not how he moves. He has a particular thing that he desires from you. And he's waiting for you to enter into to the good works that he's prepared for you in advance. For you specifically is what the, the verse says in Ephesians. Like he's prepared specific things for you to do in advance, not all good things. And so you have a call on your life individually to do individual tasks that he has set before you. But if you're just trying to do all of the good things that you can see, you're not necessarily going to do the God thing that he has in front of you. And people may praise you for doing the good thing. They may say, you're, you're doing so much good stuff for the Lord. I can't believe it. But it, it's not what he has for you to do. And you'll miss it. you just miss it entirely. Because our job is to get before him in, in, in his presence, and just begin to listen to what is it you have for me. We're, we're so frenetic and we, we move so quickly that, that I believe that most of the time we just see the next good thing that we feel like is good. Is it, is it an obvious sin? No, cool, let's go for it. And before we know it, we're, we're, we're striving to make things happen. We're we're working really hard to, to, to make this good thing come to fruition. And, and you're wondering, why isn't it, why isn't it happening? Why isn't it, why isn't it working? Why am I striving so much? And it's because, yeah, it's a good thing, but it's, it's not the thing that he's called you to do. And so you want to figure out if you're, if you're spending time ministering to him or if you're ministering to the house. One, one is going to require everything you've got, all your sweat, all your effort, all your energy. And the other one, there'll be ease. It won't be sweat. It won't be work. Now, it will be hard. When the children of Israel were wandering around the wilderness following the flame and the smoke, I mean, that's not a picnic. But their clothes never wore out. Their stomachs were never empty. He cared for them. And so it'll be as we begin to find the God things and not the good things. Guys, can I just confess, like, this is me. I'm the guy that will, that will wrangle a good thing to the ground until I'm about to die. Until the Lord, typically through my wife, tells me, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. It's just how it works. And, and if you're... Uh, if you have any sort of ambition or any sort of anything, this is where you're going to get. If you have capabilities, if you can make things happen, you're, you're in a very dangerous spot. He always uses uh, the foolish things to confound the wise. You want to know the difference between a good thing and a God thing? How big of a fool are you going to look? That's usually a pretty good sign that you're doing the, the God thing. You're going to look like an idiot. And, and it's not going to be fun. You're going to feel like an idiot. But it's the, it's the way that he's leading you into. Because faith is risk, right? Faith means that you, you have to risk everything. We're talking about that. Faith is that you come open-handed because he's doing it. But we never let him do it. We always try to help him. And we sweat, and we worry, and we're anxious, and, and it's hard to go to sleep, and we wake up in the middle of the night with anxiety and pressure and stress, and we wonder why, 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 why aren't you blessing this, why aren't you doing this, and we're trying to get God to bless where we're at as opposed to go where he's blessing. And he wants us to just go where he's blessing. And how much of our effort is trying to bless where we're at? but he's somewhere else. A priest learns to discern between good things and God things. You know why? 
because he's in the presence of one who carries the spirit of counsel. Isaiah tells us about the seven spirits of God, seven attributes of God, that that when we come into his presence and you're around those attributes, you're around those spirits, then what will happen is you'll just begin to, to grow in that. And so if you spend enough time with the counselor, like the capital T, capital C, the counselor, well then guess what? You're gonna begin to learn the difference between good things and God things. And you'll be quicker each time to say, oh, sorry, trying to get you to bless what I'm doing. What are you doing? And you'll go there. Because you're just, you're constantly spending time. Like maybe an hour. Could you imagine a whole hour devoted to just being with God? And what that means is like just being with God. Not with your favorite worship band. Can I tell you that if you, if you have to have a Bethel song to get in the presence, then that's an idol? It just is. If you have to listen to the next message to pump you up, then that's an idol. It's all you need is him. We don't need a mediator. We already have one. We don't need another path into the presence. We already have one. His name's Jesus. So what would it look like if we spent an hour without our tools that we use to stir ourselves up, to create a little bit of sweat, to get in the presence of God? But we just got in his presence just by Jesus and the Holy Spirit then probably what would happen is we would be able to learn the difference between things that are good and things that are God. And I believe our lives would look a lot different. We'd feel different. We wouldn't have to sweat. We'd have to do things. We'd have to step out and risk things. But we probably wouldn't wake up in the middle of the night anxious as much because we've learned the difference. Okay. See what I mean? We could talk for years just on this, just on this chapter of Ezekiel. This is big. Uh, and so the next thing that happens, and, and this is just, this is incredible. In verse 19, it says something, and this is, to me, this is the most fascinating part of all of this. Verse 19, it says, when they go out to the outer court, so these are the priests that are actually allowed in the presence that go out to the outer court, So when they go out, he tells them uh, to the people, they should take off their garments in which they have ministered, leave them in the holy chambers, and put other garments on. And in their holy garments, they will not sanctify the people. So this this is an interesting phrase in the Hebrew, and different translations translate it differently. Uh, I think the NIV, from what I could tell doing the research, actually gets the gist of this a a lot better. And so we're going to read it again from the NIV. It says, when they go out into the outer court where the people are, they are to take off the clothes they have been ministering in and are to leave them in the sacred rooms and put on other clothes so that the people are not consecrated through contact with their garments. That's what it says anyway, but it's just saying it a different way. So apparently, these priests, when they spent time in in the presence of God, when, when they actually spent time in, in the Holy of Holies, apparently they were so consumed with the presence of God that even their clothes could brush up against someone and could consecrate them, sanctify them, set them apart, make them saint-like. It's almost like if, if, if they were walking through a crowd and there was someone that maybe were suffering from an issue of blood for many years and they just reach out and take hold of the garment then they're made whole because simply the presence in the Holy of Holies, it just can't be contained. So you want to know what it looks like to spend time in the presence is it, it should rub off. It, it, should just, it should just change the environments you enter into. We should begin to hear things like, you know, things are different when you're around. 
I don't know what it is. When we go to our jobs and, and we miss the last board meeting and now we're in the next board meeting and, and someone should say, I don't know what it is, but it's just different today. Seems to be peace. We should be hearing things like that. Just simply because we carry the presence that we're so consumed with. We're just around God so much that he just leaks out onto everyone else. Not because we're doing anything. You see that? It has nothing to do with what you're doing. Because we're just supposed to not sweat. And it has everything to do with who he is. And we're carrying his presence around us. This means, you know what this means? This means we don't have to have the right words in order to see the presence come when we're ministering to someone as priests. We don't, we don't have to have it all together. We don't have to have all of the, the healing scriptures memorized or, or all of those sort of things in order to, to see the Lord move because it's the Lord. We just have to be in his presence. We just have to be carriers of his presence. And as carriers of his presence, inundated with his presence, things will just happen. Today, that I know of, no one has touched my jacket accidentally and gotten healed. But can I tell you that like, I'm still hoping that happens? And I'm wondering sometimes why it doesn't. And most of the time, you know what it is? I'm, I'm, not in his, I'm not in his presence that much. It's, maybe the answer is, is my time that I'm devoting to God. Maybe the answer to why I pray for this person and, and nothing happened has nothing to do with whether or not the kingdom comes now or comes later or, or whether or not they had faith or I had faith. Maybe it has to do with, in this case, just how much time am I spending with God? I don't know. But I know that, that Jesus is a prototype. And until, until we do greater things, like let's just concentrate on the, the things. Let's don't imagine greater things until we get the things that happened with him, like we should be wondering what's going on? What's different? You know, Jesus would always get away from people and pray and minister to the Lord, like always. It was his number one priority. People around him, tremendous need, and he would steal away, disappear. And they were wondering where he was because he knew the value of being around the Holy of Holies. Like he, he valued that time more than anything else. And because of that, people would touch his garment and they'd become consecrated. This is the invitation to, to come into the Holy of Holies. We no longer have to take off the robes. You know that? Because what, what was happening here in Ezekiel is that People couldn't have access to this. Only a certain people could have access to what Ezekiel is talking about here. But now on this side of the resurrection, everyone gets to access this. Which means keep the clothes on. That's a good rule around here anyway. Keep your clothes on. <laughs> keep your clothes on. Be someone who, who is so consumed with God because he's God that merely our, our presence, because we're so overshadowed by his presence, changes everything. And if it's not, then get back in your room and close the door and spend another hour. And if that doesn't work, spend another hour. If I, you can't go wrong spending time with God. I dare you to try to do too much. You just can't do it. So here, here's the deal. I was, I was asking the Lord, because this is all great, but a lot of this seems kind of ethereal, this idea of getting in the presence and getting with the Lord and, and ministering to the Lord and, and wait a minute, isn't God omnipresent? And 
isn't he everywhere and isn't he inside of me and so how do I get inside the presence? Like those should be questions that are coming through your brain right now. Those are good questions. And the deal is, is that scriptures are, are wrought with examples of God's presence coming and then coming more. Different degrees of his presence consuming. So maybe it isn't his presence coming in more, maybe it's more of a recognition of his presence that's already there. Changing our, our heart and our minds to understand who it is we carry. Understand the fact that he lives in us, that he's decided to, to tabernacle with us. We're talking about the priests ministering in the tabernacle. And now he's tabernacling with us. And so maybe it's not so much that we do the right things and say the right words and all of a sudden more of his presence comes. Maybe it's just a greater recognition that his presence is in us, so we better change the way that we're functioning and allowing him to come in a more full way. In the Old Testament, you know, he was omnipresent, but he still needed a place for his presence to reside. In the New Testament, he's omnipresent. He's still looking for people that his presence can reside in. People that are so consumed with him, not his works, not, not, his, not his stuff, not the results, and especially not other people, but him. Good works don't matter if it's not in his name, if he hasn't commissioned them. And so this is just an invitation for us to begin to recognize we're priests. And our job is to tend the tabernacle that he now has inside of us. It's our primary job. Not even to, to, to witness, not, not to whatever it is that you think your primary, your primary job is to tend to the tabernacle that's inside of you. And so what we're going to do is we often go towards, okay, so now I have to do all these things, right? I have to do all these things. I have to don't do all these things. And so what happens so quickly is it becomes a workspace type deal. But you know, I've, unrelated to this or maybe related to this, I've been doing this study on, on the tabernacle that the Lord commissioned in Exodus. And at the very base of the tabernacle, it had to be portable, and, and on the very base in the, in the instructions, uh, it was supposed to be out of these silver blocks, 100 silver blocks that had these precise measurements and all of that sort of thing, was, was where the tabernacle resided. And so the question in, in part of the study was where did the silver come to, to, to make the, the foundation of the tabernacle? And the answer is actually that the Lord required, after the, he led the children out of captivity of Egypt, into freedom, he said, okay, now you have to buy your freedom. But he made it a pretty low price, and it was one shekel of silver. And so the base of the tabernacle that holds the presence of God for the people is actually built upon the atonement price for the people's freedom. In other words, the basis by which we enter into the presence is through the atonement of Jesus, which means we don't have to sweat. He's the foundation into that access point of the Holy of Holies. Everything else is built on that. Nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Right? So here's where I think we're supposed to go today. Uh, as we begin to reflect on why are we here and, and, and what are you trying to say and, and what does this have to do with me? There's a couple of things. Number one... I think, I think we have a chance to lay some good things down. Like, I think, I think the Lord is wanting to deliver us from our good works. I think he's wanting us to open our hands and to receive his yoke, which is easy and light. We, we've yoked ourselves to good things that aren't his things. And we're experiencing burnout we're experiencing confusion, we're experiencing pain and sorrow, and we're wondering why, why, why these are good things, why is this happening, but he, he's wanting us to take his things. And so I think the first invitation is just to just 
open our hands and say, just take it. This good thing that you felt like was from the Lord and, and you, you, you just knew it, but you didn't really know it, but it was good and so you just kept going after it that's just consumed everything. Can you just let him have that? And allow him to put his yoke on you? And then I'll tell you, we've gotten multiple words this morning from multiple different people that there, there are people here who have never surrendered fully to Jesus. And so this is a time to absolutely, unequivocally say, I give up. I quit trying. I quit striving. My, my religiosity has been nothing but sweat and hard times. And I want you to do it. And even if you've been trying to be religious for years and years and years, this is a great time to just let him have it and enter in. So we're, we're going to, to stand. If you could stand, that's the prayer. Is why am I here and what are you doing? What am I supposed to hear from this? So as we worship, we're going to do that. We're going to open the altars up for ministry time and all of that. If, if you're, I think there's probably three people. If, there, if you're one of the three people that are actually going to, uh, maybe for the first time, or it could be for the second time, recommit or commit to Jesus, uh, I, I am going to ask you to do something. Can you come down and, and we'll pray for you and do that? Because I'll tell you, like, Jesus costs everything. And so, if, if it doesn't cost you anything, it's going to have to be awkward for you today, is what I'm telling you. We're going to press into the awkward a bit. Otherwise, by the time you get to your car, you're going to be full of doubt. And so, we'll, we'll pray over you, and, and you'll, you'll feel it, and, and it'll, be, it'll be wonderful. So, uh, I just encourage you to come down. Uh, for that. And then if you have anything else uh, that you need, if you need people to pray with you because it's hard to release things sometimes. And, and sometimes you feel like you've just wasted so much time and you're going to need another brother or sister to say, it's fine. He's carrying it. He's got it. He's good. The Lord doesn't need your help. Okay? So you can come forward for that. So Holy Spirit, we invite you. We welcome you here. Would you begin to reveal to us what it is that you're putting your finger on today? those things that we're supposed to give up and to give over all the way into our very lives. And Lord, would you give us the courage and the strength to stop doing the good things in order so that we can begin to do your things. Lord, that's a scary place and we need help. So would you come Holy Spirit? For all upcoming events, more information about the National Vineyard Church, please check us out at www.nationalvineyard.org. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day.